Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. Today we're going to, um, in this season, have a series called Special Delivery. I uh, like the trifold you got when you came in. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And uh, the text will not appear on the screen because we're in Monticello instead of the ballroom. The ballroom where we normally meet upstairs has full screens, and so you see the scriptures. But how many of you brought your Bibles? Wave them in the air. Look at all those mobile devices. <laughs> Wait, there are some hard copy Bibles. Hold the hard copy. We're the hard copy. Old school, I'm with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. All mobile devices. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Can have both. Can have both. So Matthew uh, chapter uh, Two verses 1 through 12, and I'm reading aloud from what is the New International Version of the Bible. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod Heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for sending your son, the true king, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for who you are. In this moment, I pray that the reason we've come is to worship you. Amen. Amen. Matthew was moved by God when he wrote this account. It's uh, an actual event in history. It's very significant. And... um, I think it's important for us to look at a number of things here. Uh, The person, namely Jesus, the place, Bethlehem, the prophetic fulfillment, the star, among other things, and the posture of those who came to worship him. Uh, Those four things. Um, In October, we were in a series called The Kingdom of God. Do you remember? I want to reference a verse or two from that series because I think it segues into special delivery. In uh, the Kingdom of God series, we began with Mark chapter 1, 
verses 14 and 15. And at the time of this, uh, Jesus is about uh, 30 years of age. Unlike the passage we just read in Matthew, he's not 30 years of age. He's probably about two years of age. He's a toddler. Um, by the way, um, the, the account that we just read, um, he's a toddler. He's not a baby. So for those of us who grew up with the familiar scenes of Christmas where you have the manger and you see uh, the shepherds who were watching their flock by night who came to the manger and then you also see the magi with their gifts. It didn't happen that way. There was a long period of time between uh, the, the magi or wise men, these uh, scientists, if you will, who came and the shepherds. Um, one is a manger scene and that's really where Jesus was born. The other, when the Magi come, Jesus actually is in the house and he's walking around. <laughs> so I'm sorry somebody's going, you just messed up my Christmas and what's under the tree. But you just need to know it's not that way in Scripture. You know, it's, uh, there's like a, a two-year window in there and a lot had happened. So um, going back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, 15, when Jesus is about 30 years of age, it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus, now about 30, went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And here's his proclamation. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the beginning of his public life and ministry. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. Now, interesting, repentance has its context in the kingdom of God. Um, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and you know, I'm familiar with the phrase, fire and brimstone, you know, preachers who are at the top of their voices, although sometimes I'm at the top of my voice, um, but at the top of their voices, preaching, repent, or you're going to hell. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said to me, yeah, and like your hair, everything's blown back, and you know, you know there's this fear of God, and there, there's a place for fear of God, but not the kind of fear that God as a father wants his children to sort of shrink back away from him like Adam and Eve did in the garden, but the kind of fear that's a reverence, uh, an awe, that when he appears, it's so awe-striking uh, 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 to the soul, as it were, that you, you are inundated with his majesty, with his, the, the radiance of his glory. David talked about the one thing he wanted was to be able to see the beauty of the Lord, right? There's something so overwhelming about his presence that it leaves us undone, unable to speak. It's that kind of reverential fear, not, uh, uh, not, not the kind of fear as in someone is robbing me, but the kind of fear is like, there's no one like you and I have no words to describe you. And nothing I love compares or even comes close to you. Right? Isn't it amazing that when Jesus shows up and says the kingdom of God, the option, the opportunity is to repent. Metanoa is the Greek word. A change of mind, a change of heart leading into a change of actions and a change of way of living so that you begin to live like the kingdom that we've been praying to come. But there isn't that response oftentimes to the kingdom or to the king. And although he's 30 when he says this, and I mentioned this earlier, so I'll say it briefly. 
God has to reveal himself to us because he could be standing right in front of us, six inches from our nose, and we not recognize him. I think one of the things that fears me is that I could literally be on the metro and get off the gallery place, and Jesus could be getting on as I'm getting off, and I wouldn't even recognize him. Uh, that I wouldn't recognize him in a meal. I wouldn't recognize him in a relationship. I wouldn't recognize him in moments of my life. And I, I'm concerned about all the times I miss God because of my lack of awareness of his presence and the reality. I mean, great men have needed God to reveal himself to him. Think about Moses. He sees a bush burning and it's not consumed. I think that would, if you walked outside and you saw something burning and it wouldn't be consumed, you'd kind of stand and watch too. And so he turned away from the sheep and went closer and the bush was a sign. The bush isn't God. It's just a sign to point you to God. This is important to hold on to. Signs were never intended to be followed, but to bring you to the one. And so when, when Moses hears the voice of God calling to him, he doesn't even know who or what. He just comes, and God actually has to tell him who he is. He says, take off your shoes, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. He would not have taken off his shoes because he didn't recognize that he was standing in a place that was holy. You can be standing on holy ground and not even know it, and you can be irreverent or in ignorance or arrogance, not knowing. God's here! I work with uh, collegiate and pro athletes, and sometimes when I'm in a room, and they say words that they might not say when I'm present, but it slips. They apologize and say, I'm so sorry, Pastor D, forgive me. And I'm going, you know, he's here even when I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the standard guy, right? So it's, it's, it's this thing of an awareness of his presence that, that he's always present. So he tells Moses, and he has to introduce himself by saying, I am the God of your father, Abraham, your father, Isaac, your father, Jacob, and that's when he's overcome and undone. You're that God? Because he knew. And he grew up with an understanding, a, a belief about God, and yet God has to introduce himself to him, and he goes, I don't really know you like I thought I did. Isn't that amazing? How about in the New Testament? And, and Moses, listen, he celebrated. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? So, I mean, this is, this is a guy. But then you get to the New Testament, you have a guy who wrote most of the New Testament. You have Saul of Tarsus, who is converted, becomes a follower of Jesus, one of the leaders in the church, and we call him the Apostle Paul, right? Apostle means sent one. It's not a title as in a business card you hand out. It just means you're sent by God. God's into sending. How many know God is sending you? Like there's no one who follows him who he doesn't send. So the mindset that's so limited, like, well, I'm not called the full-time ministry. I'm not called the preacher. I'm not called the... I'm sorry. All of you are preachers. Preacher is simply to proclaim. It doesn't mean Sunday morning standing behind a podium. It means you're sent by God to tell somebody about him out of the relationship you already have that flows from a heart of what he's done for you. It's not that you haven't taken the right course yet or you haven't been to seminary. Uh, the woman at the well hadn't been to seminary, but she got a lesson that day and influenced half her town. What town are you touching? What city? Who in your house knows about him because of what he's done in you? You can't help. Like, look, I've seen people who go buy something. They can't help and wait to tell somebody. Look, let me tell you what I got. I got the new Apple, and it's this, 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 this. And they go on. And you don't, they don't take a course on how to tell anybody. They don't even know all the full functions of the watch or what it can do. But nothing restrains them from talking. Why do you think you need to know everything about God before you can talk about him? Just tell what you know. I have an Apple watch. It's just a gift. And I'm like, it's cool. Tells me my heart rate, the decibels in the room, if I'm standing too close to the speaker. And when I work out, it just, it, it, it's making me, it's, I love it, right? 
I don't even know. I can't make it. don't know how it's made, but I talk about it. Anybody want to talk about Jesus? I don't think, man, if I talk about my Apple Watch, they're going to think I'm crazy. They might reject me. Anyway. You can always tell where people grew up in church. Go ahead. Say it, preacher. Don't hold back. They need to hear it. I love, we got people in here who genuflect, we got people who sign of the cross, we got, everybody's in, people came from Pentecostal backgrounds, people want to run around the room, other people want to lay prostrate, I'll be like, could y'all just settle down? <laughs> Keep it here? Keep it here? Right? But that's what the kingdom looks like. Everybody's in it. We all got the same daddy. I mean, even you and your siblings aren't all alike. Kingdom. He was saying the kingdom has come. But it's not just that the kingdom was coming. It was that the king himself was the present. Moses had to be told. Saul of Tarsus had to be told. Saul thought he was serving God. Man, this is scary to think you're serving God and to find out you're not. He's arresting Christians, imprisoning them, and in agreement with some being put to death. Now he's going to a place uh, called Damascus, modern-day Syria. And um, he's on his way, and he has an encounter. Remember the song we were singing? To encounter your love. Yeah. It's so much better when the band is up here. <laughs> Stay in your lane, right? Yeah, so he's going to Damascus, and he's going to arrest people, and he's doing this all in the name of God. The God of his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And guess who encounters him along the way? God. And you know what God says to him in Aramaic? Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against the goads. He doesn't know who's talking to him, so he says, who are you, Lord? Isn't it amazing that he's in his own mind thinking he's serving God, and yet God says, you're actually persecuting me. Doesn't that scare you? I mean, are you serving God? Really? We need to know. We need to know. And Saul has a life-changing encounter, and he's never the same. I want to have life-encountering transformation with God that leaves me totally different than I've ever been. And he's the only one who can change me. My wife has tried. <laughs> my kids have tried. I've tried to change my wife. It, it doesn't work. I just, we don't have the capacity to change people. We can't change their hearts. We, only God can do that, right? So we need them. So anyway, that's Jesus at, you know, bringing the kingdom at that point. And my, my, my point in mentioning Moses and mentioning Saul of Tarsus is that when they encounter God, he's not what they expect. So that brings us back to our current text when he's about two years of age, when the Magi show up, these astronomers, these dignitaries who've traveled from the east when they saw his star. And the reason they came was to worship him, right? The star, they weren't caught up with the star, the sign. It was just the science, the data led them there, probably also searching parts of the Old Testament as well. They came from the east. 
Um, Daniel happened to have been there. If you're familiar with Daniel in the Bible, Babylon. He was proclaiming and writing about the one who was to come. And so it is not unlikely that in those times, the things that Daniel wrote about, spoke about, got passed down, and other men from the east, women, etc., began to look into these things. And there are scriptures that speak to a star. And, and so, you know, the beauty of science, and we'll come back to that. God loves science. Science is not opposed to God. It actually reveals God. It's men and women who are opposed to God and use science to keep him at bay sometimes. But science speaks to who he is. The scriptures even say that. But here he is, um, the person Jesus. He's not the king we expect. Like we sing the songs and we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. But he's not the king we expect. He's not the king that those in the day were expecting. Uh, the, the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a king, but they wanted a return to what looked like the days of uh, the, the Solomonic days, the temple or, or the Davidic days. We want that kind of king to come in and just like help us, right? Deal with Rome and um, help us regain the status we had in ancient times. It's like, I'm not that king. In fact, I'm showing up in a manger. Ta-da! Manger. That's my entourage. You want to see my entourage? Donkey. <laughs> Yo, um, we can work on the king thing. Let, you know, let's get some PR people in here. Jesus, we're going to help you with your image. You know, we like the raising of the dead. We like the walking on water. All that's good. But the people need to see an image. You, you know, we're, it's like the image. You're made in my image, but you're so lost that you're trying to make me like you and not realizing I came to make you like me. You came from me, not the other way around. So we still try to make Jesus fit into our own image. Jesus, be cool, or Jesus, be, be whatever. But it's like, he's God. He's going to be God. And you're never going to be comfortable with him until, well, I don't know if you'll ever be just totally comfortable with him, but it takes more than that. So Matthew 2, that's our setting. It's Bethlehem. It's a little bit about the person. And one man said it this way, the baby born in Bethlehem is to be born in us. Um, the king ruling in Bethlehem is to be ruling in us. Like that's the real challenge for me, Donnell, maybe it is for you. It's to not just make room in my heart for God, it's to actually give God my heart. Uh, there's a tendency, Nebuchadnezzar, make, oh, we can make room for Daniel's God. No, 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 no. Daniel's God is God. I don't want to make room in my heart for God. I want to give him my heart. Yeah. Um, but as I said, even John, his cousin, uh, John was six months older than Jesus. They were related, familial ties. And um, John had the privilege of being the forerunner to Christ. The scripture says he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, prepare, Christ is coming, prepare the way of the Lord. And he actually got to make the first inaugural public announcement of Jesus to the world, to the nation of Israel. He's the one, he's the Messiah. They've been waiting for the Messiah and now he's shown up, but not like what they expected. Has God ever shown up in your life in a way you didn't expect? Have you tried to wrestle with God, arm wrestling? Do you know he can just flatten you with his pinky, with his toenail, with his, I just, 
TMI, I'm sorry. Just can't hear it in the room. But you have this king who's not like what we think, who didn't come to make what we have better, but to bring the eternal kingdom that has always existed and say, no, I'm bringing a new kingdom, and it's being sown right into the old. Uh, N.T. Wright words it this way, quote, it is the notion that a new world really might be starting up within the midst of the old, leaving us with the stark choice of birth or death. Jesus brought a new kingdom. He's like, I'm starting something new. I'm not just making the old better. And the new is going to grow up right in the midst of the old, and you'll have the choice to choose it or reject it. Isn't that amazing? Why was Herod disturbed? Like, what was going on in Bethlehem? Well, you got to know something about Herod. Herod is, at that time, king of the Jews. That's his official title. He wasn't born king. He was installed by Rome. He's actually a non-Jew. He's an Edomite. We can trace their line all the way back to Lot. So he's an Edomite, and he has been in, placed over the Jews. And the Jews don't really care for him. Number one, he's a non-Jew. Number two, he's got this issue with violence. Like, he's even done harm to his own family members. Uh, he'd done some things to try to win their affection by expanding the Second Temple, things like that, but he, they're not really down with him. And so when the news comes, the Magi, when they show up, because they know the star points to a king, they bring gifts fitting of a person of royalty, and they show up where they might expect to find a king, at the palace. So they go to King Herod, right? And they're like, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Now, if you're the king of the Jews and some international delegates show up saying, where's the king, the new king? And you're Herod, you're not really down with this moment. So he's trying, oh, the, the what? Yeah, we saw his star in the east about a year and a half ago. All our studies, research, everything, plus what the Bible says. They didn't call it Bible. Oh, we, this is the moment. Herod was greatly disturbed because he viewed himself as the one installed by Rome as the king of the Jews. There's something greatly disturbing about when our king shows up. He actually comes to you and he doesn't say, hi, how are you? He goes, excuse me, I think you're in my place. God is so disturbing. I know you don't like that language, but we all know what I'm saying. Lord, why would you do that? Why didn't you show up here? Why didn't you do it this way? Why did you, because you're the subjects, I'm the king. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother, I'm the king. I'm ruling. We haven't quite got used to the idea of him being ruler. We are much more content with him being savior. But ruling? Mm. Come on, raise your hand if you want to be ruled. Hear how quiet the room is and half raises. 
It's, it's an amazing thing. So Herod is really struggling with this. And here's what's amazing. Um, Jesus wasn't installed king. He was born king. He's born king. And Herod feels threatened by his position. What there ought to be is a celebration, a yielding. Uh, what can we do? But no, that's not it. There's this non-receptivity. A little bit more about Bethlehem. Micah chapter 2. Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophet. He said, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler. There it is, ruler, ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Matthew, Matthew is so careful to, to make the point here and that, that though you are, I want to go back up to the actual text where he says it. He says, by no means least, and although you're small, you're not insignificant. God brings significance out of small things. And Jesus is the one who's the significant, significant one coming out. Here's what's amazing to me, just a note. When Micah makes this prophetic declaration, it's fulfilled. Every prophecy ever made about Christ being the Messiah, being the Son of God, has been fulfilled. And there are scores and scores of prophecies that have been made, but they're fulfilled. This is just one. How do you do this? He said, out of Bethlehem a ruler will come who will govern my people. That's why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, because it was fulfilling the prophetic word. Now, this prophetic word wasn't made on like Tuesday and then fulfilled on Friday. It was made and then fulfilled 750 years after. Nailed it. Would you like to try to guess where one of your descendants will be born 750 years from now and what their livelihood will be? Like that, like, like nailed it. Micah says this word and they look at him. So Micah, when's that going to happen? I don't know. God just told me and I said it and I wrote it down. 750 years. 750 years. Like a millennium. Like, like Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. 750 years. Wow. All right, let's move on. <laughs> the prophetic declaration of fulfillment. They saw his star in the east. Now, I know when you read this in an American Western mindset or at least born in this century, right? You read this and you kind of go, yeah, they saw the star. It feels like a nursery kind of story you tell your kids at bedtime. But notice something. When they come to Herod, who's a king, who's a leader, a government official, and they say to him, where's he who was born king? That disturbed him. But then here's the part where you think if this is fantasy, he's going to dismiss them out of his court and say, please don't let anybody else in the White House with that kind of nonsense. What he says is, they say is, we saw his star in the east. While we were in the east, we saw his star rise. Which is to say it was commonplace in the ancient times to study celestial bodies and their movements and to understand events and things as they took place, which is beyond me. But somehow, no one in that day thought they were kooky. You understand what I'm saying? Now, in our day, we still appreciate science, do we not? Um, here's what Genesis 1.14 says about lights and celestial stuff. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs. That's in the first book, first chapter, 14th verse. Let them be for what? 
See, let's go back to the truth. Let them be for signs and for seasons. Not just seasons, but also for what? How many say that's new truth for me today? Yeah, signs and for days and years. N.T. Wright, scholar, says this, quote, the natural world itself is brought in. The whole cosmos speaks of Christ, even though its language is not yet fully intelligible to humans. Do you realize that all of creation is speaking, even though it's not a language we've learned? Right? How many speak English? Hopefully everybody are having a hard time understanding me. How many speak another language? How many speak at least two other languages? I love this multilingual polyglot community church we got. Great. How many speak four or five languages? Dude, four languages? Three? Three languages. Two languages. Three. Carlos, how many did you have a hand up on? Say what? Three and a half languages. <laughs> what are the, name them. English I got. Filipino, Tagala. Indonesia. And a bit of, com- I like that, and a bit of conversational Spanish. <laughs> Say what? Como? Yeah, bueno, muy bueno. Como no, por eso venía yo corriendo, pero pues, no, anyway. So, memorized from high school, memorized from high school. You know when you had to do those conversations? I just never forgot it. I don't know why. I don't know. My kids speak Mandarin, two of them. I love it. It's like, English, please, enough. So N.T. Wright is saying that the cosmos speaks of Christ. Astronomy, which is what these uh, magi are into, we call them wise men, but that term doesn't fall well on our ears. They're, they're, they're dignitaries, they're scientists, they're scholars, they study maps and all this stuff. So astronomy, the branch of science which deals with celestial object space and the physical universe as a whole. Astronomy is a natural science that studies celestial objects and phenomena. It uses mathematics, physics, chemistry, in order to explain their origin and evolution. Objects of interest include planets, moons, stars, nebula, galaxies, and comets. Any astronomers in the room? Not to be confused with astrologers, zodiac. No. God's God's like, no with the zodiac, right? All you Virgos and Sep, whatever you are, no. Sorry. Please don't send me an email. Um, Astronomy. It's science. And so this is what these guys were into. Here's what Psalms 19, 1 through 4a says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The word declare is there. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Somehow you can read the stars and I don't understand it because I'm not an astronomer. But if that's not enough, Numbers 24, 17 would have been truth that they could have explored in the scriptures together with their science. Quote, Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Woo! I love the fact that there's no conflict between the word of God, the scripture, and science. And scientists who love God see it as a tool to give him the fullness of their heart and make him known uh, through their study. Scientists who are opposed to God use it somehow to denounce his existence and to attribute it to something else. Isn't that amazing? 
I think it was George Washington Carver who said, God, give me, give me understanding of the universe. And God said, nah, George, that's a little bit much for you. Why don't you pick something small? Try the peanut. I mean, that sounds like a conversation that God would have with a man. Why don't you start, before you come up to understanding the universe, why don't you start with a peanut? And that man got more out of a peanut. Taught Bible study. Taught at the school. Saved soil in America from going the way of being utterly unusable because he realized cotton and the rate at which it was grown was destroying the soil and somehow planting peanuts would put life back in the soil. That was his motivation. But he did it to honor God. What are you doing in your profession to honor God? That CNN or Fox or whoever you watch will never report. But the glory of God will say, that's my son, that's my daughter. I wanted you to participate with me. Isn't that amazing? The posture. We were singing, led by the worship team, you're the reason we've come. And I just got silent. Like he's the reason we've come. It's not the sign. It's not the star. It's him. The star just points to it. You know, the word Bethlehem, where he was born, means house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. It's a great city. It's a place of Boaz. If you know the story of Ruth, and it's the, the, the place of David, city of David. And so it's only right that a descendant of David, who Jesus would come through his line. David exists because of Jesus, and Jesus yet came through his line. But here's the, the thing about the posture. You know this idea of bread in John chapter 6. Verse 25 through 27. This is, again, going back to Jesus as an adult. Do you remember when he fed the thousands? Scripture says 5,000 men because at that time they wouldn't number the women. So we really know it's probably about 12,000 people or so, right? It's a common thing to count the men, but you have to multiply that. So there's about 12,000 people he fed. Pretty phenomenal. Those who are following him, he looks at the crowd and he says, I feel compassion for them. The disciples are like, send them away. Like, like let them go to the village. Some people are like, no, you feed them. In fact, Philip, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? You know, it's tough when your boss looks at you on staff and says, make it happen. <laughs> and administratively, you don't have the resources to pull it off. And those visionaries, don't they just get on your nerves? Like, they just dream and dream and dream. And, and they keep dreaming, and the dream gets bigger. And administrative people are, like, languishing because they're thinking of every detail to pull off half of the one dream, let alone the other ten you have. And you're exhausted, so you need a new job. No one in this room. I'll give you some tips on how to deal with visionaries. Just see me later. Easy things. So they're like, how do we feed them? And Philip's like, giving them details. If we had like a year's worth of wages, Jesus, let me explain this to you. If we had a year, and here's what you got to know. Jesus actually knows, he already has in mind what he's going to do. He's just testing him. I love the way he tests us and we get all unnerved. If we had like 
half a year's wages right now. You see all these people? And we bought fish. It would not be enough. It, it, they, not even everybody could get just a single bite. He said, oh, okay, all right, that's your plan. Yeah, 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 Jesus. <laughs> Bringing all these people out. Preaching too long. You need to make your message shorter so they can go before Chick-fil-A. Oh, it's Sunday. Anyway, you can't. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Um, then one of the other disciples, I love his zeal, Lord, look, here's a boy, he's got lunch. He's got five small barley loaves of bread, right, and two fish. But what are these to feed all of these? You know, Jesus could have taken one fish and one bread and let the boy keep his lunch. But no. The little boy, his whole heart, he's just like, I'm here for you, Jesus. You can have my whole lunch. My mom gave me enough to share with people, but I get to share with you. You can have it all. Jesus says, thank you. Here, sit right here, son. Have everybody sit down in groups of 50. And he pulls on the resources of his kingdom, which far exceed everything known to us. And there's probably a ladder going between heaven and earth with angels ascending and descending. And as he breaks the bread and breaks the fish, he's coming from that eternal, unlimited place. And so feeding 12,000 for him is the same as feeding 7 billion. There is no hunger in his kingdom. There is nobody starving. There is no poverty. There is no selfishness. He just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. It says everybody ate, and it doesn't say they ate until, they had a, uh, until the need was met. It says it didn't, it didn't say they ate as much as they needed. It says they ate as much as they want. Remember Thanksgiving this year? I had four plates. How many did you? I got my weight down before Thanksgiving. I had to go in low because I knew what was going to happen. It was going to set me back like five, seven pounds. So I went down. I'm, I'm getting ready for Christmas now. I'm going in low on Christmas. Once I get to the new year, I'll be good. But he feeds everybody, and then there's 12 baskets left over. You want to bet that little boy took home more than he brought? Do you ever think you're going to give God everything you have and go home with less than what you started? That's not our God. That's not the king we worship. And if you don't know that, it means you don't know him. ID. Come on, man. You're too far away. After he fed them, he told the disciples, you guys get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. Then he dismissed the crowd. Thousands of people. Then he went up on the mountain to pray. He was probably emotionally, you know, leaders get overwhelmed emotionally. If leaders walk by you and don't speak, don't go, oh, he ignored me. Ask him, are you okay? His cousin had just been beheaded, John. He was feeling a certain kind of way. He had to carry the weight of that, and he had to go get with the father because there was nobody else he could talk to. I'm going to miss John. God, thank you that he fulfilled his call. And he got strengthened up on the mountain talking to his daddy. 
There's daddy talking to him. And then while the disciples are struggling at the sea, he comes walking on the water, gets in the boat, tells them don't be afraid, and they're on the other side. The next day the crowd shows up, and he's not on that side, so they get in boats, go to the other side, and they say, Rabbi, Jesus, how'd you get here? Like, because we saw you put them in the boat, and you can't, you didn't swim this, so how'd you get to the other side? And here's what he says. Verse 26, Jesus answered, very truly. Whenever he says very truly, verily, verily, like he's just getting real with you. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, not because you saw the burning bush, not because you saw the star, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For in him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. God's real food. John 6, 55 says, real food. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They, were, they saw the sign. He says, but you're not looking for me because of the sign that points to me. You're looking for me because you enjoyed the bread and fish you had the other day, and you come back because you want more. And I know there are times in my life when I'm following Jesus because I'm going to get some bread whatever bread looks like for you. I'm going to get some fish. I'm going to get some cash. I'm going to get a husband. I'm going to get a wife. I'm going to get a car. I'm going to get I'm going to get a... And then you have the American dream fueling your request that comes up to him, right? Because we grew up in that, right? So that, that's, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of. And we've been told that these things make us... But when we get them, we're not. So we try to get more. But what we really need is real food. He says, I'm the bread of life. That thing you ate yesterday, the reason why you came back because you're still hungry. But if you have me, I'm going to give my flesh for you. Your flesh? I don't eat your flesh. It's communion, dude. Relax. It's, my body's going to be broken. It's real food for you. And I was driving, and I saw a billboard, and it said, Chipotle, and it said, real food close by. And I had read this passage, and I'm like, Ah, I've never read a billboard and been more awed because I like Chipotle, but I just read John 6.55 and I realized that Chipotle, good vegetables, all that stuff, that's fine. But Jesus is really the real food. It's like he let me see the billboard and said, it's not Chipotle. Even with the guac and pay the extra two bucks, it's not Chipotle. I'm really the real food. And I'm close by. So I worship God in my car going, I've never seen a billboard about Chipotle and worship God. It's amazing what God will do with everything you see when you're immersed in him. You give good love. Is that Whitney or is that God? I mean, just too much, too much, too much, too much. Too much. <laughs> We're done, so I'm going to say this. Herod was threatened because he was the king of the Jews and he wasn't ready for someone else to rule and him be subject. But when Jesus died on the cross, they nailed a sign above his head saying, 
This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Because he died, he furnished proof, even with his resurrection, that he's the only true king. Herod was out killing. Jesus said, I didn't come to kill. I came to give my life. I'm going to allow myself to be killed. See, I'm the real king. The real king lays his life down for his subjects. Isn't that good? So when these magi come presenting their gifts, like we sang, you're the reason we came. It wasn't the star. It was we came to worship you. I'm asking God to so invade our way of thinking and believing. How many of you grew up in some religious experience? Church, something, yeah. Would you just take all your experience and put it before God and say, this has been so vital and important in my life. It's helped shape my ideas about you. But you're greater than this. You're greater than any system. You're greater than Judaism. You're greater than Catholicism. You're, you're greater than Methodism. You're, you're greater than anything man has put a label on and said, ah, we package God. The special delivery isn't the wise men bringing gifts. The special delivery is God packaging himself and coming to us and opening himself up saying, I'm the king. Let the reason we come be to worship this God who leaves us speechless. Dear Jesus, I want to know you. I want every man and woman in this place to know you, to just not know you through the filters of our pain, the filters of life experience, what was said, what was taught, what we got right, what we missed. You love us as we are. And I'm praying that we would encounter you, know you, and that we would say, Thank you for coming. We are here to worship you. I pray for people in this room. I pray for the relationships that they have. I pray for people who are struggling with depression. People who are emotionally just overwhelmed and it's a hard time to get it together. I pray for people who are struggling um, in a marriage situation. Um, the communication is just it seems so hard. There's interference. I pray for people, God, who are just struggling, wondering how the bills will be met, how they'll be paid. I pray for people who are just, for whatever reason they came, for the person who showed up here today who didn't want to come, who's just like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm done with people, church, etc. but they came anyway. I, I don't know where people are in this room, but you do. And I'm asking for those who feel like they're in trouble. You're the God who says, I'll be with you in trouble. You don't just give us storm-free lives. You choose to walk in the storms with us. May we know the fellowship of God in the storm. We're going to experience a storm. Just may we know your nearness in it. You'll get wet with us and go, you see, you can live through it with me. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovedc.org.